Yeah, I just, I don't know if the plow has been through our alley yet, so it might not even matter. I might just be... Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we assign you homework and try to make it fun. Uh, I am your host, Pete Romberg, and today I am snowed in uh, because I live in the upper Midwest. Uh, joining me, as always, is my fabulous co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan, and today I am a weekend librarian, which is non-optimal, but, you know, when you work in a public service job, sometimes... Sometimes you have to go to work when everyone else is closed. Mm-hmm. Non-optimal, optimal, and non-optional. <laughs> Correct. Uh, <laughs> and joining us this week, uh, once again, I think second or third time she's been on the podcast, uh, is my fiance, Marin. Hi, I'm Marin. My caffeine Yay. is slowly high, is slowly, you know, coming in, so... Slowly becoming a person. It's cool. We are recording early today because of me. It is my fault, and (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, Mara, go ahead. uh, Remind people uh, what you do. Introduce yourself, etc. Oh, okay. Hi. Um, My name is Mara. I'm a special education teacher. Um, I teach students with significant intellectual disabilities um, in a self-contained setting. Yeah, that's most of what I do. Cool. Uh, Well, this episode, we're going to be talking about body image, but before we get to that, it's only fair that we share with you, our listeners, our pop culture credentials. These are the things that we have consumed most recently, not edited for any sort of quality assurance. Uh, So, Martha, we'll start with you. Okay, so right before we got on this call, I was testing my headphones because last episode I was having some audio issues. So I needed to play a song just to make sure I was getting sound actually through my headphones. Um, The song that I picked is a song called Girls Talk by Dave Edmonds. Oh, yeah, I know that song. It is the song that plays over the credits of the pilot episode for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, yeah. Amy Sherman Palladino's new show on Amazon, which is phenomenal and amazing, and I'm in love with it. And also, I'm obsessed with this song. (laughs) It is, like, it's a jam. It's upbeat, and uh, I don't know. I love it. My dad would play that song. Like, I, I have strong memories of it coming on whatever random playlist he'd end up making. Uh, yeah, I'd never I'd never heard it before. Um, and then listening to the show, I was like, all of the music in the show is really great. Uh, but most of it is very, like, um, 1950s mm-hmm. uh, or, like, musical stuff. The show is filmed like a musical, even though it isn't actually. And then over the credits, they always have these really, like, hyper-modern, poppy songs, um, which is an interesting tonal choice. Uh, but yeah, Girls Talk. Love it. Cool. Marin, how about you? What is your pop culture credential? Um, I was just watching, and my attempt to, like, figure out how I can get the BBC iPlayer to work, um, uh, the trailer for a new documentary series called Civilizations, uh, which stars uh, my beloved Simon Shama, um, a historian who like was one of the formative figures of my interest in history, and uh, Mary Beard, who's a classicist and a dude I don't know, but whatever, Simon Shama and Mary Beard are there, so I'm going to watch this. Um, so I was watching the, the trailer, it's called Civilizations. Um, and it's a journey through different topics in history through art, um, and, um, an update on an old BBC series, um, that was broadcast in the 60s, um, so they're kind of redoing it for, um, the postmodern age, um, and unfortunately it sounds like PBS is, like, really truncating it, um, and is not going to give it to the U.S. in its original form, um, so I'm trying to figure out how I can break into the BBC iPlayer and watch it. 
this is a history documentary that was made in a lab to appeal to both Marin and I because she loves the historian Simon Shama and I love the historian Mary Beard. Um, and they're the two co-hosts. So, sorry, I muted myself because I was sniffling. Oh, um, because I was laughing oh. so hard at what <laughs> you were saying. No, I was saying because it sounds so hard to get. Countdown to someone requesting it for purchase at the library. Ah, sure. As soon as it shows up on uh, the DVDs or whatever. No, it'll be somebody who says, hey, I heard about this thing. Can you buy it? No, sorry, we can't. Why not? We pay your tax dollars. That's how that conversation. That's how that conversation usually goes. Uh... (laughs) Nice. Um, Well, my pop culture credential is uh, an album that Pitchfork tells me is 20 years old this year. Uh, and so they're doing a little bit of a retrospective on it. It is Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Uh, Shut up. That's yeah. 20 years old? Uh, I know. That was exactly my feeling when I read that Pitchfork tweet this morning. Um, and then proceeded to like listen to it two and a half times before uh. recording. Well, and see, I think because I like came to the Neutral Milk Hotel party so late... I just, like, associate them with, like, Nirvana and early grunge bands. So I'm over here like, oh, it's only 20 years old? Like, I thought this oh, was I, still around when Kurt Cobain was. Huh. I got hyper into them when I was in college. Actually, they have uh, one of the only song lyrics that I have ever considered getting tattooed upon my body. Is it off Ghost? Or Two uh, Boy? No. No. Um... King of Carrot Flowers, part one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have strong memories of you digging, like, Ghost and that instrumental song. And it was, like, one of the few places where our music tastes, like, thoroughly overlapped in sort of unexpected well, and, ways. And then you tried to get me to listen to Band of Horses. And I, I thought Ghost was by Band of Horses, as I'm saying that out loud. No, that's, a, it's off, a, yeah, that's a Nutramo Hotel. Okay, well, you tried to get me to listen to Band of Horses, and then I got mad at you for a while. <laughs> you weren't a fan? Nah. Okay. Uh, all right, so it goes. Cool. So those were our pop culture credentials. Um, time to get into the, uh, can I say, body of this episode? Oh. No. No, you can't. Um, all right, so we're getting the you. body of this episode. Uh, we are talking about body image this week. Uh, We've got three pieces of homework. The Art of Starving by Sam Miller uh, was Martha's. Hairspray was Marin's. And Zoolander was mine. Um, Before we talk about those individual homeworks, um, let me run down the discussion questions we're going to be covering uh, as sort of our guideposts for the episode. We're going to be looking at how does media conform to or subvert expectations of body image? And are these three homeworks body positive? We're going to be seeing what does uh, a healthy body image mean for the protagonists? Uh, How does gender and race impact characters' body image? And finally, do Hairspray and Zoolander use humor effectively to reinforce or challenge traditional body image ideas? Uh, So that's where we'll be going with this episode. Um, To start, why don't we start with Marin, as she is the guest this week and chose the topic. Um, so I chose uh, the 2007 uh, movie musical Hairspray, um, which is a remake both of the 1988 John Waters movie, which was not a musical, um, and the, I believe, 2002 um, stage musical. Um, and it follows the adventures of Tracy Turnblad, um, who whose dream is to be on the Corny Collins dance show. Um, And despite her, or she really like perseveres um, through bullying and through, um, you know, lots of discouragement from her friends and family um, to be on the show and realizes in her own quest to be acknowledged for her dancing skills, kind of sees the, oppression of um, the African-American students in her school who themselves are being denied from being on this dance show despite being the best dancers Um, and so decides to work to integrate this dance show. 
Oh, yeah, a couple of a couple of really quick details. If you're not familiar with hairspray, I don't know who that would be at this point, but just in case, uh, Tracy is fat. Yeah. Um, which is sort of the the crux of her uh, issues, and the movie takes place, or the story takes place across two movies and a musical, uh, in 1960s, 60s, yes, 62, 50s, mm-hmm. 1962, yeah. so early 60s Boston. Baltimore. So Baltimore. it is Baltimore. Baltimore. I knew it started with a B. <laughs> um, uh, but it is a, a city that is very heavily racially segregated at this time. Unlike which is now. Yeah. yeah, well. <laughs> but yeah, Tracy is fat. Her mother, Edna, is fat. Uh, her mother, Edna, is typically played by uh, a man in a fat suit. Which we can maybe talk about. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that for that particular bit of stunt casting for this movie is going to be a point of discussion. Oh yeah. Uh, because in the movie he's played by John Travolta. She is played by John John Travolta. Um, yeah. So what did we all think of this homework, Martha? Was this the? Yeah. I was gonna say, Pete. Um, I, I assume Marin that you had seen it before. Pete, had you seen this oh, yeah. movie before? I had not. Uh, nor had I okay. seen the John Waters. Uh, Original. I have not seen the John Waters movies, but John Waters movies sort of, as a rule, make me feel gross. So I was glad that we uh, <laughs> went with the sort of shiny, right. <laughs> uh, glossified right. yeah. musical. Um, no, I, I enjoy this. I enjoy this a lot. I find uh, Nikki Blonsky, who plays Tracy, I think she's adorable. Um. I'm all for uh, fem- I'm all for girls, especially teen girls, who rather than they having problems with their body, um, kind of have I don't know. I'm I like that she doesn't have a problem with herself, mm-hmm. right? Um. Like, the, the problems that she kind of has to overcome are not her feeling good about herself. It's getting everyone else to kind of understand that it doesn't matter that she's heavier. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that is one thing that stuck out to me more clearly on Rewatch. Um, that the movie, like, never pokes fun at Tracy for being fat. Like, it, it really is. She feels good about herself and... Everyone else is gonna feel good about me and my dancing too. You know, there's, there's not an attitude of she should be ashamed about her body. No, the people who are trying to make her ashamed of her body are the like clearly the villains. Yep. Like right. you're not yep. ever supposed to, I think, sympathize with um, Brittany yep. Snow and her mom. Yep, exactly. So, Marn, why did you, I, why did you pick this, uh, this one? Um, I picked this one um, because I feel like it is very body positive. Um, I picked this one because I I like the music. I mean, I have been listening to this album like probably since 2004, um, which BT dubs. Let's talk for a sec about the fact that originally Link Larkin was played by Matthew Morrison of Glee. Um, what? Yep. It's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> um so I this is the the music of hairspray is something I have been invested in for a long time, um, and poor Pete after we watched this last night like listen was very patient listening to me go down the Broadway rabbit hole, um, which I try to keep contained but like is just a very deep and fundamental part of who I am, um, so, <laughs> um, yeah so the, this for me was a pretty obvious choice um, because it is something that I have loved for a very long time. I mean, I saw it in theaters in 2007. I, like, have very strong memories of it came out the summer before I went to college. I, like, really remember listening to the soundtrack, like, all through college. Um, And two, I I decided this over the John Waters movie, which I've also seen, um, mostly to force Pete to watch a musical, (laughs) if I'm being honest, um, because I think the John Waters movie does some things better than this one. Um... Just, like, as a movie. But this one, like you said, it's so shiny and it's much more enjoyable to watch. Like, it's just a more fun movie to watch. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. This was 
kind of a, a, a pick from the heart. This is a, a thing I have loved for a very long time. Well, before we... So um, do we want to... Yeah, oh, sorry? Go ahead. I was going to say, do we want to talk about John Travolta I, now or later? I was going to say that same thing. He doesn't quite fit into our, our discussion questions, so I think we should probably tackle him now. Yeah, um, I mean, I was thinking we would talk about it when we talked about body t- positivity, but sure. Um, so, so traditionally in the original John Waters movie, um, this character is played by Divine, who is a drag queen who shows up in most John Waters movies. Uh, since then, the role, as you guys were saying, is traditionally played so, by a, a man so in the So in the Broadway production, um, it was played by Harvey Fierstein, um, who is also a drag queen. <laughs> um, and then, interestingly, I just found out, and sorry, this will probably mean nothing to either of you, but it actually was played by Michael, in the London production, uh, Edna was played by Michael Ball, um, who was the original Marius in... Um, Les Mis, like back in the 80s. So it is a role that has been played by like non-drag queens before, but I don't know. It, it was, and I remember at the time people like being very not happy that John Travolta was cast. Um, My- and yeah, it, it is definitely a casting choice that does not age well. My take is that if they were to make this movie now, you would have to cast a drag queen in the role and because RuPaul's Drag Race exists, it would be much easier to find a more. Um, yeah, but like it would not well have been known. that hard for them to find a drag queen, a actual drag queen in two thousand seven. I think they were looking for as many big names as they could get because could get because you know it was a movie musical and and their lead actress was you know relatively unknown outside of Broadway. So I think it was a decision they made with their pocketbooks. Um, and I don't know, it's, it definitely does not age well. I think, I do appreciate, and there is a big change in Edna's character from both the original Waters movie and the stage musical, um, where Edna undergoes a lot more character development, which I think weirdly, like, makes her character a lot more positive. Like, they, they make the journey, like, Edna feeling good about her body and herself and being ready to go out into the world versus in the John Waters movie and in the musical, Edna is, like, already there. Like, Edna is um, much more, like, she is already developed. Like, she is a big supporter of Tracy. She is happy with her body. So I don't know. It's really interesting. They force this character onto the into that journey and on one hand, yeah, it's positive. Like, you see her, like, accepting herself. But but it's just so jarring to see John Travolta play her. Like, it is just so jarring. I, and I was not a fan seems whatever, disrespectful. Like, I was not a fan of whatever he was doing with his accent. That was very confusing and disconcerting. Can I, can I ask you guys a question? Mm-hmm. No. How do we feel about a character who is a larger older woman being played by a man. Yeah. I'm okay with it because of the history behind it. Um, so first off, uh, white dude talking here. Uh, I'm definitely okay with it. Um, but because of that tradition, like coming out of the John Waters, um, who cast divine in like almost all of his movies. Um, and, and then going from there to like the stage production so that's not my hang-up, I guess. My hang-up is more Travolta-specific rather than uh, large woman being played by man. I don't know. I was reading a, a blog post by a Broadway performer who I, I'll, I'll link to the, the post in um, the blog text for this episode, um, but the crux of the entry was being told that you would make a great Tracy Turnblatt is not a compliment for a Broadway actress for, I think kind of for obvious um, Hmm. reasons. Like the character is wonderful, but because we live in such a body image focused society, which I think we're going to get into more as this episode goes on, being an actress on Broadway and being told that, I mean, your your main takeaway is going to be, oh, I'm fat. 
Right. Well, also bear and, in mind, well, Nikki Blonsky currently is a cosmetologist on Long Island. Like, that is what no. she is doing now. Um, so I imagine what else they're saying is that because our society is so fatphobic that it's like they're saying you can make a great Tracy Turnblad, but not other roles. And the, yeah, that's it. So I guess the problem that I have with Edna being played by a man is that we already have so few outlets right. for larger women in general that it seems I I don't appreciate that this one is just we're taking it off the table and letting mm. like because men in general both i think in hollywood and probably on broadway although i i admit to not being as familiar with the culture of uh broadway as i am of uh hollywood and film i imagine there are more opportunities for men of different right um sizes and appearances uh in general than there are for women and I don't know. I think it kind of sucks that we've just said yep. that because this is how it's always been done. Like, no, if you're an older woman on Broadway, you're, you're like, this is another opportunity that they don't have. And I can't imagine that there are a lot of them to begin with. Right. Mm. Yeah. No. And I think, I mean, again, I think that it was a choice they probably made to, keep more of the feel of the original John Waters film, but it's also kind of like, but why though? Like there's already so much different in the tone that it, it seems unnecessary. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We'll also get into this a little bit later, but I wanted to just real quick touch on the fact that uh, hairspray is very much not only about, um, like fatness and being comfortable with a uh, body image in that way, but it's very much about body image and race. Yes. Um, because, you know, this, the musical starts as sort of a um, kind of fun romp with Tracy and the Courtney Collins show and that conflict, and then becomes about her realizing how deeply divided Baltimore is and deciding that she's going to take a more active stand. Um, I want to say that Queen Latifah is my favorite character oh, in this yeah. movie. Hands down, she was amazing. Uh, she gets some. She gets, I think, one of the best songs with Edna. Uh, oh, Big Blonde when, and Beautiful. Yeah. Big Blonde and Beautiful. So I love good. that one. Um, but that one's so good because it's such a like cross section of the different kinds of body image the movie is about. Uh, because she is a bigger woman. She's also a black woman. And she is singing this like wholly unapologetic song about how awesome she looks and how great she feels about herself. Um, and I just I like that the, the movie gets to be about multiple kinds of yep. body positivity. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like when we when we mention the phrase body image, the kind of default place at least this was true for me, the default place my brain goes is like size yeah. and being thin and um, that kind of avenue. But I, I do think that especially right now in our, uh, our current cultural climate, there's also a lot going on with people of color and how our culture value overvalues white people. Um, so it, well, it's, yeah, to, to spring, yeah to, to springboard off that a little, uh, I was uh, happily surprised that, like, one of the cruxes of the end of Hairspray was, like, at least one, maybe multiple, like, interracial relationships, um, because that also goes to, like, to body image and sort of accepting, like, both, both self-body image and also, like, accepting everyone else's body image, too, in a very deep way. Um, and plus the, the little girl who was awesome winning the, the pageant. Um, little Inez. There we go. Uh, yeah, across the board, really good there. Um, all right, should we go on to the next homework assignment? Yes, please. All right, so Martha, we're going to go to you. Cool. Um, so I picked a YA novel called The Art of Starving by Sam J. Miller. 
And I wanted to, you know, I'm always here repping for YA Lit. I've made Pete read more YA in the last year than I think he has ever in his life. That, that is true. <laughs> um, but for this topic in particular, I wanted to make sure we got a YA novel into our homework because body image is a huge issue that comes up a lot in young adult literature for, I mean, it's something that teens struggle with heavily, um, particularly teen girls. Um, I think a lot of the sort of seminal pieces of YA literature that get um, talked about, like uh, Lori Halsey Anderson writes a lot about anorexia and eating disorders. Um, I had like three or four novels that I was trying to pick from, including one, I'm sorry, I didn't end up assigning Dumplin' Marin. <laughs> we can read it at another time. Yeah. Um, but I very I ended up very purposefully picking The Art of Starving because the main character is a boy. And I don't want to take anything away from the fact that body image tends to be very... He- body image is a conversation very heavily weighted towards how it affects girls. Um, but, well, I wanted to pick a book that starred a boy... Because of a line that Matt says early on in the book, when he says, I can't have an eating disorder, boys don't get eating disorders. Mm-hmm. I, I actually um, highlighted that line and made a little note saying, uh, representation matters, yo. Uh, yes. So the story in The Art of Starving, uh, Matt is a gay teenager in a small town on the East Coast. I think, is he? It's Rhode Island, I think. Yeah, he's driving distance from New York, uh, New York City. Um, but he is anorexic and the the book is set up to be his like advice manual about managing the desires of your body. Um, and he is doing this because um, not eating gives him a sense of control over his world and over himself um, in, in a world where he has control over very little. His sister has effectively run away. Uh, his mother works at a slaughterhouse that is imminent, uh, imminently going to be closing and putting her out of a job. And he decides that the way that he can uh, get his sister to come back is by uh, going after another teen boy that he thinks is the cause of her leaving. Uh, One of the more controversial issues about this book is that in Matt's mind, when he doesn't eat, he gains so much focus that he develops almost sort of supernatural abilities. I I think you can definitely say just like superpowers. Like heightened senses. Yeah, like very heightened sentence senses. Uh, towards the end, it gets almost like hallucinogenically, uh, you know, Professor Xy almost. Yeah, like definitely um, all powerful. But the thing about that is, and there's a lot of there are a lot of negative feelings about that particular point of the book uh, in reviews because people are like do we really want somebody with an eating disorder to be shown as having superpowers? And I felt very strongly throughout the entire book that these were delusions. Like I never felt that they were real. Hmm. And so I never saw them as like a good thing. It was always just like Matt is so clearly starving his brain into delusions and, like, this is the excuse he gives himself for needing to continue to not eat. Sure. I, uh, so I probably made the mistake of not reading any synopsis of this book at all before I started reading. And I'm like, oh, Martha assigned it. Download, begin chapter one. Um, so when the superpowers started cropping up, I was not having any of it. Uh, like, what the flip kind of book is this? Hate, hate, hate. Um, yeah. Uh, I, right. yeah. I I think it, I, I have to disagree with your interpretation. I think it's pretty clear that it's meant to be he's reading minds uh, because he suddenly knows things that are both accurate and that he has no way of knowing um, and uses that to manipulate the people around him. Um, 
like for example, he like tries to get his, and successfully until it turns out not um, gets a friend to get his dad to promote his mom. Um, and he like has no way of knowing this plant is closing in exactly two weeks and there will be this position to oversee the transition. Um, and he's able to like read this other kid's mind and figure it out. Um, so I, I, I have to disagree. I don't think they are delusions. I think it is meant to be um, mind reading. Um, and like, for example, there's also the moment where he is able to read his sister's mind and like grabs into his pocket and finds sand at the beach where she is, from at the beach where she is. Um, so I, I think, and are, are we okay with spoilers? Yeah. Yes. Everyone the, the, should have done their homework. Because the last, the I mean, the last twist is, oh, it just turns out I have these superpowers whether I eat or not. Um, so I think they, I think it was meant to be, he thinks the superpowers are correlated um, to his anorexia and then finds out he just has superpowers, period. Um, but I don't know. I have to agree with these reviewers. I, I had a very strong problem with this, um, both that this twist of, oh, the superpowers don't come from anorexia. It happens like literally in the last three pages. Um, so I, I firmly agree with these reviewers that there is a problem with this, like 90% of this book being anorexia gives me superpowers. Um, on, on a spectrum, I, okay. on, on a spectrum of 13 reasons why on one end, <laughs> And like any other YA book you've assigned on the other end, uh, what got me through this was I kept thinking like, well, I'm not enjoying it, but it's not as bad as 13 Reasons Why. <laughs> um, but specifically, so... specifically what I mean by that is I thought the ending was a lot more, um, it, it, it felt a lot better to me because the last little chunk of the book is him recognizing and addressing that he has an eating disorder and going into rehab for it. And sort of dealing with the the long term health repercussions of it, um, which which I think is a net. If you're going to write a book like this, I would advise you not to. But if you are, that's sort of the necessary end point. Yeah, and the so ending maybe of... had a a lot fewer problems with the book. But to be clear, but a couple of things. Um, I never. F- so I think that Matt is supposed to pretty clearly be an unreliable narrator. Uh, we get several points in the book where he's talking about the different, like he, he is at least cognizant enough to know that he perceives his body as being different than the way that other people perceive it. Mm-hmm. Um, I never found anything that he did or um like achieved with his powers to be outside of the bounds of either his story exaggeration or something that a very perceptive person might have noticed. Um, And some of it I just simply took as not true uh, because I don't think we're supposed to find him as being reliable. So I did not have a problem. I did not have that much of a problem with the pseudo supernatural elements because I just didn't feel that they were real um the other thing about particularly about the rehab scenes is the book is based very heavily on the author's own experiences with an eating disorder Um, so you know the the rehab scenes um the scenes where matt is like has to be taken to the hospital because he passes out randomly like those are all taken from uh true to life scenes um, which I felt I thought gave them a pretty real feeling, which I enjoyed. Um, that that being said, there was one. M- Martin's making all these faces at me about your uh, supernatural thing, but I don't want to get bogged down in that. So I'm just gonna no, truck ahead and keep pushing. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not defending the book. If you didn't like the book, you didn't like it. That's fine. I'm just saying I didn't have the same problems because I didn't read them as being literal. Sure. I guess I, I don't want to get bogged down in that too much. Uh, my my biggest problem with the rehab scenes was a single line um that jumped out at me which was his mom saying because his mom's an alcoholic because this kid has uh won the lottery for worst possible life that a protagonist could have in a ya book 
Um, he's somehow both Jewish and a ginger, so whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, his mom says something like, you know, I, I was an alcoholic, um, but now I'm going in rehab. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure the first thing they teach you in rehab is that it's not a past tense thing, it's a present tense thing. Um, well, Leo but if Gary she hasn't... From the West Wing has taught me that I, it's not I was an alcoholic, it's I am an alcoholic. But uh, she hasn't been to rehab yet. Uh, no, this is the part when she is in, it's at the end of the book when she's in rehab. Um, but whatever, it was a little tiny bit, but it leapt out at me because I'm like, Leo McGarry has taught me that that's not the right way to think about it. Um, West Wing shout out. All right, I think we're going to transition to the third homework so that we can go and discuss the discussion questions a little bit more in full. Um, for me, I assigned a radically different homework than either of the two of you assigned um, because I'll be honest, I had a real hard time coming up with a, a homework assignment for this topic. Um, most media I consume I haven't thought of as having body image uh, discussions in it. Um, and Martha, like you said earlier, I was not thinking along any binary other than um, like weight and attractiveness. I wasn't thinking like you know gender dysmorphia or race or anything like that. Um, so I assigned the 2001 comedy Zoolander. Uh, means that we get two Jerry Stiller movies in this homework <laughs> assignment. Um, Zoolander is, of course, about a uh, male model, Derek Zoolander, who is really, really, really ridiculously good-looking. Um, his rise, his fall, his rise again. Uh, his, his rivalry with and eventually friendship with Hansel. He's so hot right now, Hansel. Uh, and more importantly, taking down a international fashion uh, assassination conspiracy that's trying to kill the vice president of Malaysia. Um, it's it's a perennially funny movie. Uh, it still holds up, I think, even though some some bits run ring a bit false. Um, <laughs> I so I mean I saw this in theaters when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. So for me, it holds up because of nostalgia. Uh, but there are definitely parts that don't quite hit it. Uh, Martha, Listen. sounds like you disagree. No, okay. So I love this movie. I want to start with that because I do. Uh, it has not aged well. Sure. <laughs> I don't think that... There, okay, so there was one line that stuck in my cross so hard because I don't know that it was supposed to be anything other than a throwaway line but it's so awful. Matilda refers to... Okay, so Matilda is the the journalist who's writing about Derek Zoolander and ends up being sort of the driving intelligence or intellectual force behind uh, them taking down um, the fashion industry. <laughs> and because um, it's a movie with two male and one female leads, she's also the romantic interest. Yes, uh, but... She refers to another character as that she-male. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I heard that and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I don't know that there's also a lot of kind of weird stuff happening with Hansel and his, like, loft of, <laughs> of people. Freaks? I don't know. There are there are thing there are elements in the movie that I don't know were supposed to be anything other than like one off gags. Yeah. Right. That are just so so tone deaf now. Yeah. It that it was a little distracting for me. Well, the 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 thing that like got me thinking about even assigning this is the scene in the loft where they're talking about she she's like you know I she was talking about her own. Um, body image issues in like middle school or whatever and said that she was bulimic and then that becomes a joke of you can read minds uh but then they like that discussion ends with them saying oh no it's fine we all throw up all the time because we have to look thin and pretty yeah. um so i like, do want to talk about that scene <laughs> <laughs> so like like on the one hand we the audience were supposed to like laugh at that because haha male models um but it's also a really bad way to handle that uh martin yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that we all loved and watched in middle school and high school. I mean, I think there is a heightened reality to all of it that, like, we are suddenly just in this ridiculous world, 
And I think there's that tension between this is supposed to be satire versus like how much how much is it becoming the thing it is supposed to satire? Um, and I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it certainly has not aged well, I think. And this I know is kind of a cop-out. 2001 was a different time. Um, and I think that we, I think it's a good thing that we as a society are, you know, hopefully more respectful and conscious. Um, but I don't know. Here's... I think yeah, Here's the problem movie we all love. So <laughs> Here's the problem that I have with this movie's non-discussion, I guess, on right. body image is that you have this scene where Matilda is confessing to having gone through having suffered an eating disorder, which is horrible. It's um a terrible thing to go through. It's something that a lot of teen and uh preteen girls and adult women, I mean it's something a lot of women suffer. And it's played for a laugh. Yeah. And then it's never, never recovered discussed. from. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I the the scene, there's another scene where I think um, is supposed to be the sort of apology scene for that when um, Derek calls her and is like, what, what does he even say? It's like, I'm, he doesn't say, I'm sorry you went through that. I don't know. It's like oh yeah, it, almost. It, he's like it's almost meant to be the. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Except it isn't. Right. Yeah. It, it's like I'm sorry that fashion made you feel bad about yourself, which is like yeah. the classic. I'm sorry that what I said offended you. Yeah. Non-apology. So there's so my big issue is that there's never any moment where they actually come out and say, "This was a bad thing." Right. Right. Like, it's just, it's played off for a joke and then just sort of let go into the ether. And, and well, maybe and we're expecting also... too much from a 2001 <laughs> comedy movie about taking down the world of fashion, which yeah. is a bunch of assassins. Well, um, except that I think one of the central premises of the movie is how fashion makes people, like, how fashion kind of ruins people mm. right how the mm -hmm. fashion industry like can destroy lives so it's like this is the thesis of your movie and you're just not going to do yeah. anything with it right yeah since, since we are talking about zoolander let's transition into um our fourth discussion yeah. question about hairspray and zoolander um do we think they use humor to effectively either reinforce or challenge their traditional body image. Um, this is springboarding exactly from what I was just saying of like, we, we all think Zoolander's funny. How much emphasis should we be putting on the messaging of this? Yeah, well, movie? and I think it is an interesting contrast with Hairspray, right? Because, you know, Zoolander is using the laughs to be like, to attempting to be a satire and to have this heightened reality of like, yeah, like you said, Martha, the central thesis is like the fashion industry ruins lives and it takes that to the nth degree of like, literally we're gonna turn these fashion models into assassins that literally kill people. Um, but and why so, male models? But why male models? I literally <laughs> I just think explained I just, it to I literally you. just said that. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably still my favorite moment. Um, but, um, you know, in contrast that with hairspray, I think hairspray's humor comes from a much more hopeful place of, um, you know, I'm telling the bum across the street hello because I'm so happy that this is this morning and I'm so happy with Baltimore and myself. You know, I think there's a lot more just like the heightened sense of reality is used to say Tracy is happy with herself, Tracy is happy with her dancing, um, and I think I think that they um, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head more models of like or more like examples of like explicitly using humor in hairspray, but I think that whereas Zoolander is trying to in a satiristic way say this this body image that the fashion industry gives us is horrible. Versus I think Hairspray is more like gag humor and doesn't necessarily, I don't think it really ridicules 
one, one people's thing, bodies. One thing that both of you all were talking about when we were in the hairspray part of this discussion was that, um, what's her name? Uh, Edna. No, the other one. Uh, Tina? Tracy? Tracy. Um, when, like, Tracy is, is a large character, but her largeness is never, like, it, it, it's what other people know about her, not what she cares about for herself. Zoolander is the opposite. As as models, they are constantly primping and preening and caring about their own image, which is like the joke, um, but it's two totally different ways to sort of present people's, you know, self-presentation and, and sense of self. Yeah, I was going to say that um, one of the problems I think that Zoolander has, well, not problems, maybe this this is probably intentional, but... Um, like you have a group of people who are constantly telling you how good looking they are, but at the same time, so it's like, we're a group of people that think we're phenomenally good looking, which on the outside sounds like we have really great body image, but also we frequently throw up before shows because we want to make yeah. sure that right. it's like, like they are telling us that they are confident and beautiful and love themselves and then at the same time allow themselves to be abused and ridiculed and um i'm 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 thinking of that scene where like he's he's being photographed for the fashion shoot and the photographer's just like yelling abuse at him like you know dance for me monkey Um, (laughs) yeah and it's like yeah like that's you're very very pretty but you're getting as he said heaps of abuse just for it and because of it well, let's consider they literally blow up all of Derek's roommates at the <laughs> yeah. beginning. Yes. For laughs. I mean, yes. these men are literally killed because, and the joke being, they are so, like... Stupid. Stupid that they literally blow up their own car at a gas station. <laughs> and we're all, I mean, we're still laughing about it because it's funny. Like <laughs> this, this is one of the points where I... I'm sorry you guys hated The Art of Starving. I can't promise I will never make you read another book that you won't that you won't like in the future. I'm pretty but certain of that. I, I do think I do think one of the things that it does very, very well, and this is what we were just talking about with Zoolander um as well, is it gets across that sense of dis body dysmorphia that mm-hmm. you can develop where it's like everyone is telling you one thing about your body. And you see a completely different thing. Um, I thought that Matt's descriptions of his body dysmorphia were very affecting. And I think that that's similar to what you get in Zoolander when it's like, oh, I am both really, really good looking and also hideous. I have to change everything about myself for this designer to hire me. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And, and those scenes where Matt was looking in the mirror were ones where I was like, Oh, this is actually, like, doing some good stuff here. Um, yeah. Um, how about, uh, so So that, that's actually a really great springboard to our second discussion question, uh, which is what does a healthy body image mean for our protagonists? Um, Matt clearly is suffering from uh, body dysmorphia where he sees himself as, uh, what's the line from uh, Silence of the Lambs, a, a great big fat person or something? Um, so... He is, you know, not seeing himself as he truly is um, and, you know, is literally unable to see a healthy body image for himself. Um, Zoolander, of course, a healthy body image means being really, really ridiculously good looking. Um, Well, and remember for Matilda, like for middle school Matilda, a good body image meant looking like the fashion magazines, which are photoshopped and impossible. Yeah, and, yeah. and especially for her, that would be like, you know, the 90s fashion of, of heroin chic. Right. Uh, ridiculously right. skinny. Um, that's that's actually a really good point, Pete. Yeah. I hadn't I had not considered the the timing of the models yeah, like, that she would have been yeah, looking like at. Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think I mean, I I appreciate that the end of Zoolander is like Derek kind of with the implication that his son is going to be a male model next. But like take <laughs> again for laughs, um, but, you know, taking himself out of the fashion industry. So and I think that is supposed to say like, oh, he's going to, with Matilda's help, focus on helping other people and like 
Well, it's a good thing that they never made a sequel to Zoolander, so that uh, we can just assume that that's true. Right. I haven't seen it, so nope. I can still pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Um, exactly. But he does he does mention that one of the things he's teaching his students at Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good <laughs> is how to be to models. Too. Too. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I, w- I would argue that Tracy in Hairspray already has a healthy body image. I think Tracy is happy with herself. She's focused on her dancing. Um, she's focused on the fact that she's in love with Link. For Hairspray, for me, the more interesting one is Edna and the right. um, the 1960s song where it's like, oh, you haven't left your house in like a decade because you're so uncomfortable oh, with yourself. Mama, welcome to the 60s. Um, and, oh, oh, and then, oh, 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 uh, you know, she's uh, she accepts herself and, and, you know, steps out into the world. So that that to me was sort of the movement of growth there. Yeah. I also really enjoyed, and Marn, you and I talked a little bit about this uh, pre-show, um, the song The Black or the Berry. Yeah. Which, again, gets into, uh, it's, you know, a black teen boy singing unapologetically about how, um, you know, the blacker your skin, the more beautiful you are, which is such a, like, radical notion for our culture's, like, beauty standards that I also really enjoyed the conversation that the movie had about like blackness and beauty, uh, which again, I am a, I'm a white woman, so I don't know how much place I have to talk about this, but I think that was an important conversation to be really upfront about having that the, the movie kind of went there for. Yeah. Well, and I also explained to P anytime he plays Kendrick Lamar, that is absolutely the song I hear. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and I think, too, like, the whole, and we mentioned it earlier, but the big blonde and beautiful um, scene where Queen Latifah is basically like, I have this table full of food that I like, we're dancing, we're having fun, and come join us, like, I think that's also, like, a very good, we're all happy with ourselves here, and, you know, you want to have a seat and eat from this delicious food? You go for it. You want to come up and dance with us and sing? You go for that. Um, so I think that's also a really healthy moment. Um, I also would t- peg on to your conversation of um, the black or the berry. I love how Inez, his little sister, steps up at the end um, and sings, like, the last third of the song. Um, she was freaking great. That yeah. that uh, actor is now is now also a uh, performer, like musician performer, um, which checks out because yeah, she has such a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Let's do a really quick wraparound for our. I, I think we sort of touched on our third question: How do gender and race impact characters' body image? Um, real quick, is there anything either of you want to add to that discussion? Um, what I would like to end this episode with is sort of a quick spin around hitting our first question of are these body positive or not um but before that any any additional comments on the gender or race impact issue um yeah I, i one other thing i would add with race is i thought it was interesting in the art of starving you know talking about um Tarek and how like his culture and um race are influencing like how he sees himself as a gay person um, mm-hmm. and just like, you know, that he has had relationships with women to like make his dad happy. Um, his family is Syrian. Uh, like his dad is clearly a Syrian refugee. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that that is definitely driving his own, uh, you know, life. All right, well, let's, uh, unless there's anything else you guys want to add or discuss, I would like to wrap this episode with just a quick whip around, uh, all three of us sort of reviewing the three things and uh, asking whether they are body positive or not. Um, so any other things to add before we, we do that? I don't think so. Cool. Um, Marn, we'll start with you. You just, like, want me to go down the three? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would argue... I think The Art of Starving is not body positive. I think uh, 11th hour, oh, I'm going to be in treatment now. And oh, by the way, my powers don't coincide with my anorexia. I don't think it's enough to make it body positive. Um, I think 
I I have to say, I don't think Zoolander's body positive. I think it goes too far into the satire. And also, I think it would be more body positive if Matilda was still a fat character. Like, I would be much more forgiving um, if that were the case, but she's not. She has, like, become looking like the models she says used to stress her out. Um, I think... Hairspray absolutely is body positive. Um, I think that it treats all of its characters um, and their body image with respect. And I think those who are, it's very clearly those who want to demean characters' body image are the like clear and explicit villains. Um, so I think it is highly body positive. All right. Martha. Uh, so I agree. Uh, Okay, so Hairspray, yes. Um, I'm sad. I was very sad reading that Broadway performer's uh, assessment about how it's not a compliment to be told you would make a good Tracy Turnblad because I love her, and I love her unapologetic love of herself. Um, Zoolander, no. <laughs> um, I think it it's too deeply entrenched in the bad self-image that it's trying to satirize that it almost loops back around to being sincere (laughs) i don't know um and then so the art of starving i don't think it's body positive but i don't think its point is to be body positive i think the story it is telling is about a kid learning to it's about a kid first learning what it looks like to heal. I think the next story would be how to love his body. I don't think that's the story that it's telling. So I don't think it's body positive, but I also don't think that's a bug. Mm-hmm. All right. And for me, uh, easy one first, hairspray. Yes. Uh, Zoolander. Um, no, but I think that's the point. Um, you know, so, sort of what you guys were saying where it's like, does it go too far and become sincere uh, in being non-positive? Whether it does or doesn't, literally the the point and, and where the humor is coming from is that these are all people who are deeply, um, you know, attractive but insecure in it. So inherently it's going to be non-positive. Um, and then for The Art of Starving... I, I like how you're sort of assessing it, Martha, because I think it's no, but I think it's sort of like woke, non-body positive, where like it is actively not, but aware of that and and trying to sort of present. Yeah, like it's not it's not waving a flag saying all bodies are beautiful right. because it's a first person narrator who hates himself. Right, right. Which <laughs> is like, yeah, like, like that's the point. So, of course, it won't be. Um so, so sort of like a, a different schema to assess it on. Um, yeah, so I, at the end of the day, though, no, it's not because the guy hates himself. So, of, of course it's not. Um, yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Now, unfortunately, we encountered a little bit of a technical difficulty in the recording of the outro. Uh, so I'm going to be the one taking us home. Uh, so you can find me at Pico3000, that's P-I-K-O 3000 on Twitter, where I'm talking about politics and pop culture. You can find Martha on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalMartha, and you can find Marin on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced. You can find the show on Twitter at D-Y-D-Y-H podcast and our home on the web at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, You can check us on Facebook, just search for Did You Do Your Homework? And, of course, you can send us an email. Uh, You can hit us there at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Definitely feel free to drop us a line. You can offer suggestions for show ideas, homework assignments. Just give us feedback or even uh, ask to be a guest on the show. Uh, You can get us on iTunes, of course, anywhere else you get fine podcast materials. And please do rate and review us on iTunes. That's how other people can find out about the show. Uh, In addition, your bonus homework assignment for the week is to tell a friend about the show. Spread the word. Speaking of homework, 
Our homework for next week is going to be about fairy tales. Uh, on the show, we're having Martha's librarian friend, Lauren Maxwell, who has assigned The Sleeper and the Spindle by Neil Gaiman. Martha is assigning Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro, and I am assigning the graphic novel uh, trade paperback Hellboy Volume 3, The Chained Coffin and Others by Mike Mignola. Frankly, with the topic of fairy tales, we could have an all Guillermo del Toro or an all Neil Gaiman episode, uh, but we decided to diversify a little and have a little bit of each. In addition, Martha wants you to know that the extra credit assignment for this week is to watch the uh, first episode of the TV show Once Upon a Time. All right, I think that's it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Class dismissed. <laughs>